1: Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Right now, the NWSL Challenge Cup is over, the WNBA Major League Soccer and the MLB are all in play again, and the NBA is coming soon. I'm Jessica Luther, and I'm joined today by Brenda Elsie, Amira Rose Davis, Lindsay Gibbs, and Shreen Ahmed, the entire group. In this episode, we're going to talk about the new NWSL team in Los Angeles and ownership models in professional sports. And Amira talks with U.S. Olympian Tiana Bartoletta about the new Athletics Association, an organization aimed at giving more voice and power to global track and field athletes. Then we'll burn things that deserve to be burned, do shout-outs to women who deserve shout-outs, and tell you what is good in our worlds. I'll also be making a big burn-it-all-down announcement towards the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. But first, Seattle's NHL team announced their new name and mascot. It will be the Kraken, a mythological creature that is often compared to a giant squid, Though I always think of the multi-armed lizard merman Kraken from the 1981 movie classic Clash of the Titans, which fun Jessica fact I memorized at some point as a child, the entire dialogue. No matter how you imagine it, what are your thoughts about the new Seattle Kraken? Shereen? I'm going to you first.
2: I'm very excited. I'm in a process of doing a lot of work around hockey, particularly structures of racism in hockey and, you know... Adjacent to that, obviously, are homophobia and misogyny. And I'm really excited because the front office of the Seattle Kraken actually hire BIPOC. Then that matters. There's a lot of people of backgrounds that you wouldn't traditionally think are part of hockey. I'm not just talking analytics. I am talking marketing. I am talking admin. Like, exactly. This is important to me. So basically, it's this restructuring and rebuilding of hockey, I'm very excited because I also feel like there will be purple involved. Even though their logo is like a, a black, it looks it looks a little bit similar to Seagram's logo, but that's that's a different thing. I'm just excited about it because I really also love squid. I like eating it, so I feel like squid could be my new hockey food. I don't. I'm just. I'm very excited about it, and I'm also been feeling this thing that some hockey. Uh, Fans might, I'm parting ways with the Montreal Canadiens probably after decades because I'm really fucking tired of Jeff Molson and his like inability to address what's happening in the world. So for people looking for
1: hockey, teams could be ours. Shereen, always finding a way to tie stuff to food (laughs) is like, it's like such a real skill that you have.
3: Brenda. Being from Detroit, I am super pissed at this appropriation. We we should have a sole ownership of octopi and all related mascot tree, but not throw them on the ice anymore. Like that's bad. But Detroit Red Wings for so many years have been associated with octopi that I'm a little bit, I feel like this is a really, this is trolling and I hope the Red Wings like kick ass next year. Wow. Well, I guess the other thirty one teams can
1: eat that. They'll, when they'll offer calamari that. specials. Yeah, exactly.
4: I'm here for the Bruins calamari special when they're playing the Ooh, oh, and good seafood. Yes, I'm totally in on this. We're totally gonna eat calamari specials in Boston when the Krakens come to play.
1: <laughs> Lindsay, do you have Kraken thoughts? Uh not quite as many <laughs> as everybody else. <laughs>
0: I'm I, I'd say I'm glad that they did not go with Seattle hockey team is the name. <laughs> <laughs> Which of course is a reference to uh Dan Snyder's Washington football team. And uh for some reason the Kraken kept from Making me think of the aggro crack and the guts like game show and Nickelodeon. And I don't know why, but that's just like now been in my head for days, even though it has nothing to do with the team. But I just wanted to say it. So
1: that's all. That's the extent of my thoughts. Nice. I do want to say I feel like on behalf of all of us, please don't do all the crackhead stuff. None of yes. that shit needs to go along with the Kraken. But I am here for anyone who wants to make a shirt with the Clash of the Titans Kraken on it, and I will buy it because I deeply Deeply love that movie. There was big news out of LA this week. The city is getting a new NWSL team, the 11th in the league. They will start play in 2022, and they've adopted the name Angel City FC for now. That is big news all by itself, but the ownership of the team is its own story because it's a majority woman-founded group. It's led by actress Natalie Portman, technology venture capitalist Karen Nortman, media and gaming entrepreneur, Julie Ehrman, and tech entrepreneur and venture capitalist, Mr. Serena Williams himself, Alexis Ohanian. Other investors include Serena and her two-year-old daughter, Olympia, now the youngest professional sports owner in the world, actors Uzo Aduba, Jessica Chastain, America Ferreira, Jennifer Garner, Eva Longoria, 14 former U.S. Women's National Team players, including Mia Hamm, Abby Wambach, and former guests of this show, Julie Foudy. This is not the makeup of the ownership of, of a professional sports team that we are used to. Lindsay, thoughts on the news out of L.A.?
0: Yeah, I have to say that I of course there's always reservations and a, you know, I think we'll get into some of those throughout this segment, but overall, if you look around the even the ownership of women's sports, it is all white rich men, and in women's sports it's often white rich men who really don't care that much about the women's team itself. They care more about kind of their properties or the training club they can set up to go with it or, you know, just all these other excuses. So the fact that this is a team that is owned by predominantly women, there's lots of, there's women of color involved, there's queer women. It makes me really excited. And I think for so long, you know, women on a successful level have not been told, like they haven't seen that buying into pro sports is something that they can do. It hasn't really even occurred to them. I remember even just to support women's sports. I remember speaking to a group of lawyers a couple of years ago and telling them that they should start taking their clients and stuff when they're doing meetings to women's sports events, that they should start attending those as like group, group events. And none of them had ever even thought about going to a WNBA game together. And they all said like that changed their perspective forever. So I'm just hoping this changes the perspective for others as well. And, you know, gets more people to literally buy in.
2: Shereen? One of the things that I think is really interesting is actually the idea of who can, what comes after playing. Like I'd be interested to see, and we have seen Julie Foudy in this particular mix of people that are involved, because traditionally in men's football, post if you have a successful enough career, you can move on to managing or you can move on to ownership. And I think this is really striking because in this famous interview between Zinedine Zidane and David Beckham, is just really the question that Zizou asked Bax, and he said, "Do you envision yourself as an owner or as a manager?" And manager being the terminology they use for coach. And he said, "I'm an owner," and ergo. Miami Inter FC. So I think that's really interesting. This is something that a lot of players think about. And maybe in women's football, it'll give an opportunity moving forward for women's players to think about this in the same way as men get an opportunity to.
0: Yeah, Shereen, that's so cool because Diana Trossi was doing, when she was doing the big uh, Instagram live with Sue the and, epic and, and the <laughs> epic one, she actually said, uh, they asked if she wanted to be a coach, and she said, it's funny, everyone's like, do you want to be a coach? Do you want to be a GM? No, I want to own it. I want to own a team. And that was, it's, once again, it's changing that way of thinking.
1: Brenda, thoughts on L.A.?
3: My thoughts on LA take me back um, to this like moment where it was great to be alive when Marta and Sissy actually played on the same team for WPS, which was Gold Pride, and how that was such a missed opportunity. I mean, Latinos make up the majority of the soccer community in LA, and they were not marketed to. The WPS was marketed as a white Um, soccer mom league. There was no attempt to try and include, you know, Latino youth or to even like sort of jump off of these two probably best, you know, I mean, best women's players ever, perhaps. Um, Also Asian community, Miami was on that team. So, I mean, I think I hope that the marketing at least to a certain extent, like tries to recognize it, it's not going to be as grassroots as if it came up from a regular football club, which is what we're seeing with MLS and NWSL more generally. But LAFC has an amazing supporters group. They are largely uh Black and Latino and have been super supportive of this. So hopefully there's some crossover there and we don't see the same mistakes again.
1: Lindsay? Yeah, one of the
0: sports ownership stories that's always most inspired me is the Seattle Storm. So it is a group of diehard Seattle Storm fans who, successful women, but far from billionaires, who in 2007, when the owner Clay Bennett was going to take the storm to, along with the Supersonics, to Oklahoma City, these three women, uh, well, there was four at the time, came together to join this partnership called force 10 hoops and bought the team. And at the time they were the only female ownership group of the team. And, you know, the storm have been one of the most successful franchises on and off the court. They hosted the all-star game a few years ago. I was out there. It was absolutely phenomenal. They've also been, when they formed their partnership, the Force 10 Hoops, they made social justice a primary part of it. And it's been really exciting. They led a Planned Parenthood initiative in 2017. They had a whole game dedicated to raising money for Planned Parenthood, which, you know, three years ago, that was the first week time we'd seen any um, professional sports team do that. And so it doesn't have to, you don't have to be a celebrity is what I'm saying. You don't have to be a celebrity and you don't have to be doing it because it's a cool thing. Um, uh, we just want more people who care,
4: Amira, yeah, and I think that my kind of larger philosophical question unites the two points that Lindsay and Shereen just made, which is like, what is the material reality of representational ownership, and I think in a way, Lindsay pointed to some of the kind of hope with the you know Planned Parenthood night, right, like is what is the hope? when you see women and and people of color moving into ownership positions, is it that they have more progressive workspaces and what does that look like? Um, but I guess my larger question is, does it inherently change sporting systems? We ask this question a lot when we talk about, you know, is it, what there's a difference between you know women's football and and feminist football, and what are those differences, and what does it kind of represent? And so, in what way does a kind of more progressive ownership model still reproduce power of the systems they're in? They're still within a capitalist system that, by nature, is a ownership group exploiting the kind of on the ground labor of athletes. And so what, you know, what is our general larger hope? Have we seen evidence of this happening? And in what ways are they still constrained by the systems that they're in?
1: One thing that this had me thinking about is that this is different and it is very exciting what's happening in LA. I agree with all of that. At the same time, it is the same sort of owner model that we see all the time in sports. A bunch of in this case it's a bunch of rich people, but rich people owning a team And it made me want to talk about other ways that we can think about team ownership. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past on the show, but um, Lindsay.
0: Yeah, there's a new league starting up for women's pro sports called Athletes Unlimited. And it's starting with softball um, really in like a month or so, I think at the end of August. And it's going to, I'm very curious to see how it works. So it's, you know, um, the owners of the league are the typical rich white men, Jonathan Soros, and John Patrasoff. But the league itself is the teams are going to be primarily owned by the players, like the players are going to have actual stock in the team itself. The entire thing is really interesting. It's it's based off, they're kind of trying to replicate like a fantasy sports model, but for real sports. And, uh, you know, I'm very curious to see what this ends up being and if having female athletes literally buying in and being part of kind of the ownership of the team is going to change things. They seem to think it will. I have a lot of questions. But I also know that there are a lot of great athletes who are really excited about this. So we're going to keep an eye on it.
1: This last week, I did an interview for Burn It All Down with Erica Vanstone. She is the executive director of the Women's Flat Track Derby Association. The point is the WFTDA is a – they're amateur, but it's a nonprofit. And so one of the things I talked about with Vanstone are the financial impact of COVID. And she kept bringing up – they have this remarkable plan – to bring back the sport after COVID and it's value-based that they're able to put forward as the number one issue, player safety. And she kept bringing up that because they're nonprofit, unlike a lot of professional sports leagues, they can put their values first. They don't have to worry about corporate sponsorship and making profit in the end. And so they're able to make different moral choices. And I just found that deeply Appealing this weekend and and it did make me think about the Green Bay Packers. The NFL actually has a non nonprofit team that's owned by something like three hundred thousand people who have bought stock in it. They elect a board of directors they have a sever- seven member executive committee that stands in at NFL owners meetings. Football decisions made by the GM it like it exists right and it's not clear whether or not that's possible to recreate again but it's still it it does exist within major professional sports shereen
2: one of uh another example of a very cool model of football is uh and i'm uh, i mean soccer very specifically is actually lewis uh lewis f c who we've had Maggie Murphy on this podcast, and i believe it was episode one thirty five and basically lewis f c is two years ago committed themselves to becoming the first professional or semi-professional football club that paid their players, men and women equally. Now, this is also a part of the vision that the club had, which I think is really important for us to sort of look at how new models of ownership can actually help with visions and principles like this. So basically what it is, you have shareholders, very much like that model that you were just speaking of, Jess. And it's a really good thing because what it does is it... Does this transition between accountability and involvement? So there are things out there. Um, no, and we're not getting paid by Maggie or Lewis to do marketing for Lewis. I'm just saying there's a, there's different models out there for people to invest in. Although if they want to send me a scarf, I'm down.
1: Shereen is very good at tying things to food and to clothes. So you, we got both skills this week, Brenda.
3: Yeah, I, coming from. Global football. I mean, the most. I I guess the thing that a lot of people don't understand is South American um, football is actually that is dominant as a model. Um, the they non-profit? are nonprofit. Okay. Yeah, they are nonprofit civic associations. There are no shareholders. Everyone who wants to become a socio becomes a member. That's a member. You're a voting member. Um, you pay your dues. There's general assemblies. You elect a board of directors. That board of directors elects the coach, the GM, all of those things. And that is so different in terms of the public good. And uh, Bundesliga also has some clubs on this model. In fact, the league requires that m- the majority of clubs in Bundesliga operate on that non-for-profit basis. So this is very, very common outside of the United States. In fact, you know the Premier League was a usurpation of that model as well. There's a very political and politicized fight and a way in which to try to get them into debt by taking advantage of, you know, civilians like you and me that come and do those jobs as president of X club.
4: In addition to all her Olympic medals, she's been a world champion thrice over and got a
5: bunch of other medals, too.
4: (laughs) And I'm joined with Tiana today to talk about the newly announced Athletics Association, an organization by global track and field athletes seeking to have more power in the governance of their sport. Plus, we chat about what Tiana terms her radical resilience. But let's start with the Athletics Association. Last week, global track and field athletes declared we are the sport and formally announced the launch of the Athletics Association. Tiana, what's going on? What is this?
5: So what's happening? What's happening is finally track and field athletes who are very much individuals because it's not exactly a team sport are coming together in order to collectively advocate for our own interests when it comes to world athletics, which is our governing body on the international level. World Athletics.
4: You might recognize it more by its previous name, the IAAF, which stood for the International Association of Athletics Federation. It once was the International Amateur Athletic Federation, but they dropped amateur 19 years ago or so. World Athletics is headed by a president. and also has a council of about 26 members, two of which represent the Athletics Commission. And together, this federation of World Athletics makes almost every decision related to global track and field.
5: Because over the past, i venture to say four years, that federation has made unilateral decisions that really affected us as athletes. Our ability to earn a living doing this and all sorts of other baffling things without consulting the athletes. So the final straw was when they actually removed
4: events from the Diamond League. The Diamond League is one of the World Athletics' signature top-tier events. It's a collection of 15 meets grouped together to form the Diamond League. Now, last fall, they announced that they were going to be removing certain events from the Diamond League finals, including steeplechase, 5,000 meters, 200 meters, discus, and triple jump. World Athletics alleged they removed these events because they were quote unquote least popular or featured least popular athletes, that they were boring, that they would crowd the other competitions out. And of course, this decision made without input from most of the track and field community, the athletes um, wrinkled a lot of feathers completely.
5: As if they no longer had value, as if the athletes there no longer needed those opportunities to compete, or those chances to make money. And one of those events was the Triple Jump, whose biggest star is Christian Taylor. And so...
1: As they're set on their way, and
3: Bartoletta running the first leg for the U.S., she'll hand off to Allison Felix. And she's already making up the stagger to her outside, the pass successful to Allison Felix, and down the back stretch they go.
4: Formal launch just announced. I asked Tiana what the association has been up to. Now, we're
5: pretty much tackling uh, quite a big list of things. Uh, On that list are events. We need more competitive opportunities. We are tackling Rule 50 with the IOC, lobbying for that change. Uh, There's just, there's so much. like, Like you said, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And if it's related to track and field, it's on our plate. And
4: has there been pushback so far? What are you up against here? We're up against people
5: who have been in those positions for a long time and aren't particularly interested in giving up or sharing their power. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what it is. And, and so it's going to be difficult. And that's why it's important to really have a basis in fact and with data and to not just complain on social media about how horrible they are (laughs) or how bad these decisions are, but to really almost become, I've said this in board meetings, almost become politicians and lobbyists about this. We need to find a way in. We can't just knock on the door and demand a seat at the table. They don't have to give us that. And so we need to find out, like, how do we get elected to these positions that will guarantee us a seat at the table, all of these sorts of things. That's what we're up against, because I imagine that, you know, they're looking down at us from on high, like all the kids are upset until we take action in a way that allows us to have a seat at the table and change rules rather than shout about it. I think that's that's where we're going to remain. But that's what we're working on we're very aware of
4: that uphill battle and in your opinion, why is having athlete representation on the board of governance so important?
5: Well, here we are the talent, basically, the product that they're trying to wrap and sell, and they're trying to do it at the lowest rate possible as if we aren't human beings with with life lives and expenses to support you know so it's important to have somebody who is currently and will, will be affected by all of the legislation, all of the rule changes that are taking place. Because as it stands, a lot of the people on these boards perhaps were coaches or were athletes decades and decades ago when the landscape of the sport was entirely different. And it's just, it allows for them to be completely out of touch. And so having current athletes represented by current athletes in the governance will ensure that they get the perspective that they need they're not they have what what's called a athletes commission that works within world athletics but they are i'll say handcuffed to really do anything against World Athletics positions. So they're allowed to kick up and make noise and make suggestions. But if World Athletics doesn't want to do it, they're not going to do it, which is why it's important that we are completely independent of World Athletics.
4: So one of the statements that Athletics Association has put out has been regarding Rule 50. That's the rule that prohibits political protest at the Olympic Games. Athletic Association has joined with others urging the IOC to abandon this rule. How are those discussions going? How did that come about?
5: So I want to be completely honest about this. This only just came up within the Athletics Association. I raised it at the last board meeting. I said we had to talk about this and we had to publicize a position. Before that, I have already been and am in working groups with the USOC and the IOC about Rule 50. So this is something that I have already been working on for a long time. The board itself, I realized that we were going into a launch and hadn't said anything about it. So it's very much a a new discussion that's being had. So there's not a lot that I can tell you about all the different opinions and stances that are going on within within the board. We just support the rule change because as I've said to the USOC and to the IOC directly, it is actually quite a hypocritical stance to take. Uh, based on the Olympic charter, based on the, the ideals of Olympism, it, a saying that an athlete cannot peacefully protest or bring awareness to injustices in the world in their moment, which they earned, is hypocritical, especially when the IOC claims that the goal of sport, and the goal of the Olympic Games, is to unify and promote world peace and human rights. It doesn't make sense to then say you can't do or represent any of those things at our games.
4: And how has COVID affected your ability to organize? Has it helped because you have time? Has it changed how you have to interact with each other?
5: It honestly hasn't affected how we organize because it's an international association. So it was all going to be done via technology anyway. So all of that capability already exists. We use Slack. All of us around the world are talking to each other within the Slack app and COVID or or not that the board of directors meets via Zoom. And because we're all representing different countries, that would have always been the case in terms of the agenda. I think it just determined the priority of things, for example, the survey that went out about postponing the Olympics was a direct response to things that were happening in that moment. And it wasn't at the inception of the association was not something that we were even thinking about, but it happened and we responded. Right. So a lot of that will continue to go on. We can't, we can't say, nope, can't handle that because it's not on our pre-approved agenda. We are very much reacting to real life, real time things. And so that's just COVID's going to be one of those things that's going to be fluid. In terms of how we approach and deal with world athletics, we have more time to articulate our thoughts, to drum up support to do things that we, it's less, it's still important, but way less urgent, which means we have more time to prepare and make a plan, a strategic plan of action moving forward. So in that way, it's it's actually benefited us because otherwise it would have been rushed. And when you're rushed, it's not always thorough or uh, presented in the most effective way. And we need to be both of those things when dealing with world athletics, because they have very different priorities from us.
4: You mentioned the international nature of this association. Does, including voices from track and field athletes globally, present some challenges?
5: I think, of course, because, again, the nature of the sport is that we're all individual athletes then we all have national federations that have different rules and priorities then we have different coaches (laughs) different contracts different sponsors so I, i do believe that will come up but as of right now because the objectives are so large it's really easy for all of us to be on the same page about these things but when we get down to it like for example um the southern hemisphere they have different, they're in a different season than we are now, right? So mm. their, their meet schedule is totally flipped. Their opportunities to train and qualify for things and make teams is very different. And so we have a qualifying window for the Olympics that makes sense for us because it's happening during our track season, but that's the middle of their winter. And so there's a lot of things that we have to, you know, consider there's a lot of differences and a lot of variables we're not at the point where we are so far into the details that those things are coming up right now though
4: in addition to training for the olympics and her work on the athletic association tiana is also a practicing yogi
5: in my training because yoga and one of its main goals is to help generate the connection between your mind and body and the side effect of that is increased and heightened body awareness. Um, what athlete cannot, would not benefit from an increased level of body awareness?
4: That's Tiana talking about yoga on her YouTube channel. Check it out. It's under her name. I wanted to ask her what it was like moving from a sport where Black women have been historically overrepresented, that's track and field, to a space like yoga where Black women are very underrepresented.
5: Yeah, it's because as we talked about earlier in this podcast, representation matters, right? So for me, I get out there and I say, you know, I belong here. I'm welcome here. I am making space for myself here. And because I did that, even though, you know, I still go into the studio and count the black people and I'm like, oh man, just two of us today. You know, even though I do that, I'm still there. The tendency for us to shrink ourselves and only go to spaces where we feel welcome is actually an impediment to encouraging other people to come out, to come through, to pull up. And so it's really important to just take that on and, you know, kind of get okay with being uncomfortable with being the only one because you being there is a declaration that I am here and others can follow.
4: Yoga, track, athletics association, beyond, you have a lot on your plate in the middle of the mayhem that is the year 2020. I just want to ask you, how are you doing?
5: Yeah, 2020 has not been fun for a lot of us. And I actually though, do really well because I'm radically resilient that's like mm. that's probably gonna be on my tombstone when something eventually kills me <laughs> 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 but but just dealing with hard stuff is like that's the brand over here right and so I am doing as well as I can with, under the circumstances it is very difficult, but it has also awakened a different level of focus intensity towards creating, building the life in the world that I want to be in. And for that, I'm actually really grateful because it has really awakened Advocate Tiana. It has awakened Track Tiana to really buckle down and try to figure out how to get the work done without the home track, with, without being able to go to the gym at Cal. It has really allowed me to focus on the things that I really want and to hold the things that i love really dear and fight for them in all the ways including this country and the racial climate and the political climate that we're in all of that i'm doing all the things and sometimes i get overwhelmed and have to focus on myself and you know do digital detox and unplug but for the most part i'm alive and i'm happy to do the work
4: well, we thank you for doing the tremendous work you're doing. If everybody wants to get more information about the Athletics Association, to follow it, to support it, where can they go to stay up to date?
5: Athleticsassociation.org. And on the main page, if you haven't already, there is a call to action to subscribe to the mailing list to get updates to stay informed. From that mailing list, we'll be able to break down into groups. So for example, if you're media, you will get updated in a different way. If you're an athlete, you'll be told like, okay, this rule is coming down. What do you think about this? So anybody can can join that mailing list right now. We need those numbers. and We need that kind of support. And then in January, another a membership program will be rolled out. We're still finalizing a lot of details on that. So sign up for the mailing list now. Come back in January and check out the membership program, and we'll just keep charging ahead
1: from there. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, The Burn Pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. I'm up first this week. The University of Texas, which you might know is the school I'm currently attending and therefore paying tuition to as a graduate student, announced this week that they are planning to allow 50% capacity at their giant football stadium when the football season resumes in September. To be clear, 50% of the stadium capacity is upwards of 50,000 people. 50,000. It's one thing to imagine all those people masked and sitting every other seat in an open-air bowl, but it's another to imagine those 50,000 people walking in groups to and from the stadium, waiting in lines to get in, and crowded into concrete bathrooms. The school announced last month that it will reopen and have in-person instruction starting in August. There are lots of rules around this, but with the announcement this week of them planning on having 50,000 people at every football game, it's hard not to read this all cynically. A move to get students on campus so that they can then justify having football players on campus so they can then justify letting 50,000 people pay money to get in every time there's a home game. The entire state of Texas is in crisis right now when it comes to COVID-19. At the university specifically, since March 1st, according to the university's own dashboard, 284 students and 168 faculty and staff have contracted the virus. That's over 450 people here in Travis County, where the University of Texas is located. We've had over 19,000 cases and nearly 250 people have died. And here, like everywhere else, the impact is disproportionate, with Latinx people accounting for over just 50% of all cases in Austin. To put it bluntly, it's unlikely the people making the decisions around this are from the community mostly harmed by the pandemic. The University of Texas Stadium is smack dab in the middle of the city. It's one thing for fans to take that risk, but that risk will leave the stadium with them and spread out. And on top of that, what about the service staff who will be subjected to this? Earlier this month, the university announced its first COVID-related death, and it was, of course, a custodial services employee. This all just sounds like a purposeful incubator for COVID in the name of making money. So, burn. 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 Amira, what are you burning?
4: Yeah, well, uh, first and foremost, don't waste your energy or time or, like, matches on burning Brett Favre in his stupid picture with you know, 45. Instead, revisit my burn in episode 158, where I talk about how he collected over a million dollars for speaking engagements he never did as part of a massive welfare embezzlement fraud um, in Mississippi. That is really why you should get your matches ready for that man. Speaking of the NFL, though, my burn this week is about Woody Johnson, of course. This week, there was not one, but two troubling reports about the former... He is the Jets owner still, but he gave over day to day operations to his brother. The first is that him, remember, he is our UK ambassador because of how much money he gave Trump in the lead up to the election. He's appointed to that position. And one of the reports alleged that he tried to ham the British Open into directing it to uh, Trump's golf course in Scotland, which is, you know, illegal, but <laughs> that doesn't matter in this country anymore, so, apparently. And the other report is very troubling and completely believable, uh, which is about his racist and sexist comments that he made repeatedly to staff, um, including saying, why does Black History Month exist? Black fathers don't take care of their kids by holding events at venues that women were not allowed um, and talking about women's appearances or refusing or not wanting to do any kind of uh, gender-based violence uh, support because he quote-unquote didn't care because he wasn't a woman and all of it is believable if you know anything about Woody Johnson Um, and so I would just like to (laughs) burn it all because he shouldn't be in this position and he definitely shouldn't be racist and sexist in the position but because he's racist and sexist whatever position he is he'll be acting that way and it's trash so burn it down.
3: Burn.
1: Burn. All right, Lindsay, what are you burning? I'm burning Ted Cruz.
0: <laughs> Go ahead. Um, just always. <laughs> why not? This in particular, though, it's a little bit of a double burn. So first of all, the WNBA launched on Saturday, the WNBA season. And ESPN sent out a tweet during the Liberty versus Storm game. And it said, as the national anthem was played, the Liberty and Storm walked off the floor as part of the social justice initiative. And the video included is just of the players walking off the court. Now, they did leave the court before the national anthem so that they would be in the locker room during the national anthem. But it is important to note that it wasn't like the anthem was playing and then they just all like casually walked off. So ESPN was framing this in a facetious way. But Ted Cruz quote tweeted this and said, stunts like this could provoke the fans to walk out. Oh, wait, dot, dot, dot. Here you have a U.S. Senator mocking women's sports, mocking female athletes, mocking black female athletes, doing the in- troll thing of who watches women's sports. This is the man who has in his bio that he is, you know, a husband and a father. <laughs> this is a man who is from Houston, which uh, the Houston Dash are playing on Sunday today in the NWSL Championship Cup final. And the Houston comments are the best thing that's literally ever happened to Houston. So I want to burn Ted Cruz. I want to burn the using female athletes as political ploys, as we continue to see politicians do. And the fact that we have like, He's like a reply guy. Like, these are the reply guys in my mentions, just the ones who live in the basement who are just like, oh, who watches women's sports. And this is a senator. It is just infuriating.
1: Burn. Burn. Before moving on to our final two burns, I want to give a heads up that they are about sexual harassment and sexual violence. If you want to skip ahead, we have time stamps in our show notes. Brenda, what is on your burn pile?
3: And My burn pile this week is the... Alleged. I hate that word. It's very new. Let's see what happens. Um, Sexual harassment of an intern at NYCFC, particularly noting David Villa, who has an academy in Queens and who is a very prominent and well-known Spanish footballer. I'm just going to burn two aspects of this right now because this is just really they're investigating. This is it's not even really formal so I don't even want to name the person um or or shed light on anyone who needs to go and bother her right now. But two things interns. Interns are predominantly women working for free and are incredibly vulnerable. And we've seen this in sports organizations again and again. We've seen it in the Oval Office. We've seen it with Monica Lewinsky. This is not okay to give free labor. You need to pay everyone internships are bullshit. They need to be regulated. They take advantage of people of color. This woman is also um, Puerto Rican. I don't think that's like surprising. And secondly, this is a perfect encapsulation of the way in which sports organizations respond um, to vulnerable people like this um, with, I didn't even know her name. So I I just want to say that the response of some of the people, this is not David Villa, but some of the people were, I don't know what this even is. I don't know who this even is. And it's like, of course you don't. Of course, you don't even remember their name because they're so insignificant to you. The entire structure of internships, especially in sports organizations, need to go. It just needs to go. We need to burn it down. And of course, sexual harassment. And we'll keep an eye on this continuing story. And hopefully NYCFC does better than most. But I'm not holding my breath. Burn.
1: Burn. Shereen, what are you burning?
2: I just wanted to first of all say that here at Burn It All Down, we stand in solidarity with survivors of violence. And this is a particularly enraging one. Well, they're all enraging. I was very mad after seeing this. And a hat tip to Hillary Hildane, who gave me this sort of like hijab tip of here, this is what's happening. Fiji rugby. There is a former player who was convicted of a rape in 2018 of a 24 year old. His name is Eminani Nasila Sila. And while being imprisoned, there was photographs and reports of him actually playing on what's called a prison warden's team. So it's actually a team of incarcerated people who are permitted to go and compete around. So they have many of the privileges that they would before of competing within sport. Now, this affected a lot of people, particularly women. And in Fiji, there's quite a strong history of rugby. And the thing is, this made a lot of people very, very uncomfortable, because what it was is like this very, this very clear lack of acknowledging this is problematic, is is hugely problematic in itself. And to make things really far more bizarre the prison wardens team in this particular area falls under the jurisdiction of francis Keene, who himself was convicted of manslaughter and had to be taken out of the world rugby league so this whole situation's a little bit of a mess and he refuses to acknowledge that there's anything problematic with this and even the director of this the correction services director Rehabilitation Senior Superintendent, that's a big, big sentence. Salote Panapasa has defended Nasila Sila's involvement completely, and he said, "quote We do not condone the actions of Nasila Sila. However, it is our duty at FCS to positively address his offending behavior. Positively address his offending behavior. Nasila Sila has displayed the necessary progress expected of him since his incarceration." End quote. Now, this is less than two years out of a conviction. And I think that to be able to applaud someone and give them these privileges is hugely problematic. And the way that the rehabilitation arc of professional athletes is so widely, freely given is very problematic. I want to burn all of this.
3: Burn. Burn. Burn.
1: After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our Badass Woman of the Week segment. First up our honorable mentions. San Francisco Giants Alyssa Nacken becomes the first woman to coach in an on-field capacity during an MLB game. She coached first base. Sanisa Estrada scores one of the fastest knockouts, seven seconds in women's boxing history. Estrada has now won 19 straight matches and has a perfect undefeated record. Congrats to Canada Women's National Team star, Jesse Fleming, who has signed with Chelsea Football Club. We look forward to Jesse ripping it up on the pitch. Respect to the women of the USA rowing team, 12 of whom were infected with COVID-19 at their training facility in Princeton, New Jersey. They recovered and are taking gold medalist Emily Regan's lead, loudly advocating for America to take this disease seriously. The WNBA announced this week that Indiana Fever Center Natalie Achanwa earned the Don Stigley Community Leadership Award for Outstanding Leadership and Commitment to the Community. At the NWSL Challenge Cup, Canadian goalkeeper Kaylin Sheridan of Sky Blue FC won the Golden Glove Award, and Washington Spirit forward Ashley Sanchez picked up the Future Legend Award. Can I get a drum roll, please? Our badass women of the week are the NWSL Challenge Cup champions, the Houston Dash. They defeated the Chicago Red Stars 2-0 in the final. I think it's safe to say the Houston Dash were underdogs going in. Sophie Schmidt scored an early penalty kick in the fifth minute, and Shea Groom, assisted by Rachel Daly, added a stoppage time goal late in the game. Daly was the tournament's most valuable player and the Golden Boot Award winner. The NWSL was the first professional team sport to return to play in the United States, and their bubble worked the way it was supposed to. Over four weeks, they played 23 games and did more than 2,000 COVID tests, and none of them were positive. That is quite the feat in this moment, and we want to recognize that too. Congratulations all around. Before we do our what's good, I have an announcement to make on behalf of the entire Burn It All Down team. We started this weekly podcast over three years ago, and to date, have never taken a week off. We are proud of this, but we are also tired. To say this particular year has been challenging is an understatement that I'm sure everyone listening understands. To give us all a chance to recharge personally and to retool the podcast, we will be taking the month of August off from our regular weekly Tuesday episodes. We'll still be working. We still will have content arriving onto your podcast app throughout August. If this last week was any indication, our hot take game is very strong right now. So stay tuned. And now onto our what's good. My what's good. I know there's all these conflicted feelings, but it was very exciting to see the WNBA back. I really enjoyed watching these women play basketball. I got to give a shout out to the Chick's latest album, Gaslighter, especially the song Juliana Calm Down, which I have been scream singing in my kitchen all week long. I find that I just love that song. Aaron and I have finally started watching Fargo. It's on Hulu, the TV show. And Allison Tolman in the first season, I have not looked, but I'm just in my head imagining that she won all of the awards while that episode or why that season was airing. And then the final thing I want to mention, Aaron and I just had our anniversary, 17 year wedding anniversary. Apparently, Aaron told me that furniture is the gift that you give on your in your 17th year. And so he got me – how do you explain it? It's not a massage chair, but it's like the back. You put it of, on the chair. Yeah, you put it on the chair and it's got the rollers on the back and then on your neck. And it does this shiatsu and it like vibrates your butt if you want it to. And the whole thing is just Lovely, and he's such an amazing gift giver. And so I'm just what's good is really seriously this little massage chair thing that I have been using repeatedly this week. Amira, what's good with you?
4: <laughs> uh, I'm really proud of Samari, who has been social distancing performing in like these shows weekly, singing through masks. Um, and she, you know, has been dancing again, and she just got invited up to the upper level. Contemporary Dance Intensive, which is the level just older and just a little harder than her. And they invited her for a week. So from... 3 to 8 p.m., she'll be doing an hour and a half of ballet, followed by an hour and a half of jazz slash modern, a half an hour to eat, and then an hour and a half of contemporary for the entire week. And so I'm really happy to see her motivated and on it. And I'm also really excited. You know, we went to Texas to see my um, biological family, but my adoptive moms are a little bit older. And so the logistics around seeing them has been really difficult. Um, and we both live in college towns. Um, but we've decided what we're going to do this weekend is we're both meeting in Scranton, all the world's favorite destination. And we have, we both have our own separate kind of hotel spaces and we will meet outside for socially distant picnics and then go away and then we'll meet again so they can see the kids. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And I was not excited about Scranton and I was like trying to get the kids hype and I thought I would have to do work to do that. So I said, Mari, we're going to go to Scranton. And she said, Scranton, the <laughs> electric city. And I felt like, oh my God, of course she's binged the office and is very excited about this. So um, that is, that is my main what's good. And of course, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Chelsea on Peloton yoga because her restorative yoga this week was literally the most soul affirming thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. You know, my favorite Sweet Honey in the Rock song, Ella song that I've played on this podcast, like that's on the playlist. Like if you have Sweet Honey in the Rock on the playlist and Nina Simone, like how can you not like that? And so um, that's my what's good.
1: I did a Peloton yoga class with Chelsea this week and aaron was just listening to it and he was so charmed by her like oh, he she's all charming of the, and all of the music was boy bands oh yes yes <laughs> it was That was she
4: did black idols the other day and she did a funk yeah. one
1: whoo it's i gotta fun. do the funk one Lindsay. what's good with you can we get a Peloton sponsorship for this show?
4: <laughs>
1: I even we tried this week.
0: This Did you <laughs> see
4: in the notes how I said my what's good aspirationally was not Peloton related? Yeah, you didn't I failed it, at though. that. She, I, you know, didn't, I know. Didn't I know. Didn't make it. <laughs> you
0: almost made it. And then you didn't. You know, yes, the, the WBA being back, the WSL. but I feel like that's my what's good every week. And then I was really struggling to come up with anything because I got to admit it has been a bad week for me. So I am grateful for Lou Williams. (laughs) 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 So Lou Williams, uh, an L.A. clipper, left the NBA bubble to go to uh, a funeral for a family friend. And, you know, he was being tested every day. But during this, one of his friends Snapchatted a photo of him at a strip club in Atlanta. And first of all, the cover up is just great because the friend immediately deleted like the Snapchat or Instagram story, whatever it is, and said, that was an old pic of me and Lou. I was just reminiscing because I miss him. <laughs> <laughs> in the picture, he was wearing an NBA mask from that they give out in quarantine. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's just like definitely not
0: that. And then Lou Williams is just going on and on about how he was just definitely there just for dinner. Like he, you know, ask all he tweeted, ask all my teammates, what's my favorite restaurant in Atlanta? Nobody's partying, chill out. and Then he hashtag mask on and in and out, which are just great strip club um hashtags. And and then on top of all of this. The coach, Doc Rivers, this is my favorite part. And I feel like this is a really underrated part of the story. Uh, The head coach of the Clippers, uh, Doc Rivers, was asked about this. His quote was, I can't share much with his journey. I wasn't (laughs) on that journey with him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This story has been giving me life. He will be quarantined for 10 days now, which is extra longer he he's, he's gotten punished with an extra long quarantine now that he's back in the bubble. But I think it was worth it for this joy that this story brought. Me. Just like, <laughs> I just love every single bit of it because it's just like, it's like just naughty enough. Do you know what I mean? But just like, also Atlanta though, like, you know, maybe don't keep all of the clubs open. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe let's, we're in a pandemic. Let's close them.
4: Exactly. Club. Or do club. that drive by strip club that they had that one place. I thought yes. it's Houston. That wasn't Houston because it's a very Houston
1: thing. <laughs> yeah. It is very Houston. It's lovely.
2: You
4: drive um, in and it's a drive through strip club.
1: I'm I'm yeah. very intrigued. You gotta do what you gotta I'm do. I'm intrigued
2: by this. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm intrigued by this. Road
1: trip. Yeah. Okay. Yay. Brenda, what's good with you?
3: Um, okay. Uh this break. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to get to to be in touch with all of my co-hosts and retool and rethink and regenerate. I'm very excited. I've gotten permission to teach exclusively online Yay. in the fall of my Oh, good. It took a very, very long time. It was very anxiety-provoking. Thank you, Hofstra University, for um, helping me out um, with that. Let's see. Nature, hikes, and also I have to plug one more time, um, Olga Takarczuk who is a Polish author, who wrote Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. She's won the Nobel Prize, but I'm now on Flights, which is one of the most experimental and interesting novels. And then I have a snarky one, which um, I'm not going to lie, David Silva is playing his last regular game for Man City in the Premier League. He will appear in the Champions League. I can't Fucking stand him. There's no good reason. I don't like the way that How he plays you Not like Silva. Um, like he's like a kid because he's lame. No, he's uh, right. Exactly. How do you feel about your football career? I hope people enjoyed my football. I'm asleep. I hate the Spanish national team up from that era. They're good and they beat the South Americans and f you to them all. And so I'm glad to see him retire. They I'm won sorry, the World Cup. Snarky. They won the World Cup. <laughs> Thank you for informing me of something that I know and pains me frequently. I am aware that they won the World Cup and I'm happy to see them retire one by one. Bye bye, tiki taka. Um, It's only done right by South Americans. So, yeah, it's mean, but it's what's good for me this week, if I'm being honest. This is what's good for me. This is a classic. (laughs) Brenda, what's good slash
1: burn that was a, that was a classic she, oh, she was okay. having
0: fun what's good was getting to burn it like it was yeah. just boy <laughs> yeah emanating from her yeah just
1: classic work Brenda. shireen um
2: what's good with you thank you you know i have a lengthy list first of all david silva is so <laughs> non-offensive in a world i know so we could talk about this in in, in slack hot, hot take, take hot we'll do it all hot take silva. <laughs> um I did just want to say uh Thank you to this team. I love you. And I'm looking forward to also recharging my family. And I have rented a place. We couldn't get to our cottage in Prince Edward Island for like the first time, which is very, very sad because the provincial borders are very strict in Canada, like super strict. So we've rented a place in the Kawartha's, which is about three hours from where I am. And I'm looking forward to that. It'll be with my parents. So By Wednesday, someone should be fighting. About I think Tuesday night there'll be a huge fight. This is my prediction. And then by Wednesday we'll be fine, and the rest of the week will be good. Speaking of that, I just spent a couple days with my family, my parents. My bubble has extended to them, and I'm always happy to see them. I really like, I really enjoy my parents. And um, you know, like everybody, we this time of COVID and this global pandemic worries us all for a variety of reasons. So just shout out to everybody handling that. Um, I do also would be remiss if I didn't say Eid Mubarak to everybody. It's the month of the hijab, which is the month in which Muslim pilgrims are performing the pilgrimage. Although this year there's a literally a fraction. I think they allowed one or 2000 to go to Makkah and Medina and do this. So I was actually there three years ago at this time. And it brings back a lot of memories. It was an incredibly important spiritual journey for me. And I think of it very, very fondly and it prepared me spiritually and emotionally for resilience for things that would come next in my life. So I just am very grateful for that. I wanna say happy birthday to my friend Sabrina Rosak. I love you, her twin and her Yasmin. It's her birthday this week, so we're gonna do a social distancing thing. And I got professional photos done with my kids. That's been a really heartening experience. Um, I got them, I bought my boys' clothes and like just shirts because like their idea of dressing up is like ironing their track pants and so i was like no we're gonna and so they came out really beautifully and the two young women who were doing this are part of this organization called photo shoots for change and they donate all the proceeds including their time and stuff to the black legal action center in toronto which also was it warms my heart because like The youth out there, they're doing big things. And when I feel frustrated with the state of the world sometimes and see how my generation has contributed, and we always look to blame people, the boomers did this, whatever, I look at the youth and they're forever struggling and forever hopeful. And they're mobilized. And so respect to all of those young people that just bring joy in so many different ways and so the pictures are gorgeous I did get one with my like the light because golden hour was hitting my face and I'm like feeling myself so I'm just (laughs) feeling myself big time and probably going overboard with that but it was it was actually it was really yeah and just it's the first (laughs) professional photo I've had with just me and my children who are my family and the cat was not in it But that's okay. Um, She probably would have wanted to opt out anyways. So I just really – it made me really happy because while we were taking photos, I kept saying, guys, come on. I'm going to tell mom if you don't hurry up because I try to pretend I'm their sister because it irritates the shit out of my children. So that was also really fun. And, you know, the compliments are always lovely.
0: Wait, I have one more what's good to add. So we are recording this on Zoom now. (laughs) for the past five minutes, my co-host, Dr. Maria Rose Davis, has just been. Uh, she's got a window next her, digging the light, and she has been just striking it pose really after pose after gorgeous. pose. It's very cute. Gorgeous. And it has so been cute. killing me. Oh my! God. Yeah,
2: like I, I love seeing your faces. So this has been like, it's been wonderful. It's been really
1: wonderful. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode. Thank you all for joining us. This episode was produced by Kenzie Clark. This is our last show with Kinsey, and we want to thank her for all of her hard work over the last few months. Shelby Weldon does our social media, episode transcripts, and website. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also email us from the site to give us feedback. We love hearing from you all. If you enjoyed this week's show, do me a favor. Share it with two people in your life whom you think would be interested in Burn It All Down. Also, please rate the show at whichever place you listen to it. The ratings really do help us reach new listeners who need this feminist sports podcast but don't yet know it exists. If you are interested in Burn It All Down merchandise, check out our Teespring store. And we have new merch right now. Alongside our regular offerings of t-shirts, tank tops, pillows, beach towels, tote bags, and the like, you can now get face masks fanny packs, pet hoodies, and new decals. And we have two discount codes in effect right now. Mask on, five off, all one word, the five is a number. Mask on, five off, that gets you $5 off of orders. And stay home 20. Again, all one word, the two and zero are numbers. Stay home 20 for 20% off your order. Again, you can find our merchandise at our Teespring store. One more thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. More Patreon-only content is coming your way soon. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com burnitalldown. That's it for us. Until next time, burn on, not out.